Kia ora koutou. welcome to the panel on RNZ National. It is lovely to have your company, Anna Dean and Mark Knopf Thomas with me, and I, I am renewed joy. I'm a new person, because why? I am looking at a big resplendent image of Anna Dean's knitted coat hangers, uh, and they are colourful, they're happy, they're vibrant, they're fun, they're all the things that I didn't think a coat hanger could be, and I take it back, Anna. So thank you for saying it. In fact, we, we, I might actually get um, the, the panel Twitter to put a... Would you mind, Anna, if we uh, shared uh, one of your images? Please. Yeah, lovely. Please share all right. one of those. Okay, yeah. very good. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, yeah, someone says, my grandmother's knitted hangers are a memory of her handcraft. Now lost to the world. They are an example of women's lives in a simpler time. It's a bit of a thing, this, so we might actually come back to our knitted coat hangers maybe on Friday this week, talk more about them. And thank you for the shout-out to people on their own. It means so much to hear my experience uh, spoken about. Uh, here's one about opening up the borders. It may not be the silver bullet many have hoped for. With global inflation rampant and China still in lockdown, are we going to get the flood of tourists we expect? And with rising costs, will the industry really be able to pay enough to attract people to work in it? Or are we going to go back to cheap imported labour? And on that, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and Tourism Minister Stuart Nash today announced plans to fast-track the reopening of our border. Fully vaxxed Australians will be able to enter the country from the 13th of April, followed by travellers from visa waiver countries on the 2nd of May. In short... We're ready to welcome the world back, says Jacinda Ardern. To discuss what this means uh, for New Zealand and the tourism industry, we're joined by EcoZip Adventures co-founder and the Auckland Regional Tourism Chair, Gavin Oliver. Gavin, kia ora, welcome. Thanks, uh, Wallace. Kia ora, good afternoon to you. What does this mean for New Zealand's tourism industry, this announcement? Um. Well, it's, it's the first ray of real light in, in 730 days. Um, we've been closed off from our principal markets, or those of us that, that relied heavily, like, like my business did, on, on the international markets. We were 75% international when the borders closed. So um, it's been, I think, torturous is, is probably the, the, the fairest description. We've lost some great businesses. We've lost some great individuals from the industry. People have left the industry, sadly, the you know, we've we've lost one or two um, members permanently. Um, so this is this really is the the, the the ray of light at the end of the tunnel that we've been we've been holding out for. The announcement wasn't expected until July. Does it surprise you? Um, it, it did a little. Um, there had been rumours for some while that the, the announcement was going to be brought forward. Um, many in the tourism sector had been talking that the, the July date was possibly a placeholder um, and it was set a little way out to enable the government to walk that back in response to the Omicron outbreak. So it wasn't entirely unexpected. Um, I spoke to your colleague Tess yesterday, and, uh, and and I told her that I thought the fifteenth of, of April was the day. So, um, so I, I proved what I knew. Well, bringing our panelists, Sue McGavin, are you expecting to see a? What are you, what are you expecting to see? A surge of travellers coming in from Australia? Do you think many will be hesitant? I mean, for goodness' sake, many are hesitant uh, about going out in the own, their own cities, and for good reason. They want to keep themselves safe. 
Yeah, look, I think that what we're not going to see a flood of travellers. I think anybody that expects there to be right. dozens of aircraft landing immediately is, is, is sadly is, is probably wrong. Um, we'll see a first initial wave of, of visit friends and relative travellers. Um, so these are people coming to reconnect with families. Um, and then hopefully, I, oh, I really hope that my colleagues in the ski sector will get a, a much-needed shot in the arm through the winter. Um, obviously, at the moment, we're still in red settings. Um, red is a, a number that sort of denotes warning or danger, um, that probably is, is, is going to be seen offshore. We certainly know that the, that, was, uh, that was reflected in, in commentary in, in the US recently about New Zealand and about whether it was safe to visit here. Hopefully, before too long, the Omicron outbreak will be over. We'll move out of the red setting um, and, and it will start to change the perception of New Zealand as a destination. But it is, but it is Wallace, it's going to be a slow burn. We're, we're not going to get a heap of travellers on, on the, on the okay. day the border opens. All right. Uh, Anna Dean. Yeah, it's um, it's it's fantastic news for those who who wish to reconnect with friends and family from Australia. It's super exciting. I was just wondering, Gavin, it's it's really interesting because even before COVID time, there was a lot of discussion around the lack of sustainability for the tourism sector here in this country. And do you think that this is a this has provided a good pause and and way for people to reassess what they are, are doing? I mean, tourism's a you know, it's well known to be a fickle business. And um, I mean, I'm sure there's been a lot of navel gazing going on. What What are the kind of key things that you think people in your sector have been reflecting on? Yeah, and I think that's very true. I mean, one of the things um, that the minister has said several times in the last year or 18 months, that tourism wasn't going to be the same when it returned. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. that's undoubtedly true. Um, but I also think it, it, it belies the fact that prior to the borders closing, about 1,500 businesses had already signed up to Tourism Industry ATRO's Tourism Sustainability Commitment and were already mm-hmm. working proactively to the goals within that. Now, obviously, there's been a natural hiatus. Um, I said in a piece that I wrote last year that you, know, you can't expect businesses to go green when they're not in the black. Um, if businesses now have an opportunity to start trading again, to start generating some revenue, then, then we are, I know because I talk to many business owners, there is a palpable desire you know, to move to a more sustainable future. And this may be the springboard that gives us a chance to do it. Actually, on that, because someone was just saying, look, recall Simon Upton's report, we must reduce the environmental impact of tourism or we will stuff up our wilderness. And here is our opportunity, Gavin, to reduce our expectations. Is this actually a good time, Gavin, to actually have a rethink about actually what do we want from tourism? Yeah, and, and, and Wallace, there was a good piece of work was done by the Tourism Futures Task Force, which um, which which has which has been halted. That was looking at exactly that um, and trying to quantify what what was good for New Zealand tourism in the future. Um, and obviously, there are issues around sustainability that need to be addressed. Um, but I, I, you know, and that's going to be you know work that's continuing at a, at a national level. On a, on an individual level, I'm, I'm aware of many businesses that are that are making significant inroads and are, for example, like my own business, have become carbon positive and are acting and, and working with their communities and, and engaging in in some of the activity we want to see. So right. I, I think that this will probably stimulate even more of that. Mark. Yeah, hey, Gavin, I think you're bang on the money when you think you say it's going to be a bit of a slow burn, but I probably would say that we might have a, a, one of the best ski seasons we've had for a while because I'm sure there'll be some Aussies who have got pent-up demand to hit the slopes. Um, in terms of recruitment and, uh, and the workforce in the tourism sector, 
how how is that looking? Are there are there massive gaps of of vacancies, and are we going to rely on you know lots of uh, backpackers on working holiday visas coming through to fulfil some of those jobs? Look, we're, we're definitely going to need some of those folks. Um, one of the one of the challenges is you know there is a worker shortage. Um, there's, there's no doubt that that is not and not just in tourism that's impeding you know economic activity. Um, yeah. We have lost um, tourism industry TRO estimate. We have lost about um, 33% of the pre-COVID walk workforce, um, and and that and that's not just the employees. Um, one of the stats that I read, which was quite disturbing, is that the, you know, the number of working proprietors proprietors is down by 25% as well. So we are going to need people coming into the tourism sector. We are going to need to convince young people as they leave um, school and university that that tourism is a a valuable and worthwhile career to pursue, um, and but that was a problem that existed even before the borders closed. You know, we knew right. we needed to, to persuade people about the value of the tourism sector. Gavin, nice to have you on. Kia ora. Thank you for your time. That is Gavin Oliver, uh, co-founder uh, of Ecos of Adventures and uh, Auckland Regional Tourism Chair. So Prime Minister Ardern says we're ready to welcome the world back. But I want to ask you a question across the country: Are you ready? to welcome the world back. Text me, 2101. Yes or no, why, why not? It is uh, 17 past four. The panel, RNZ National, Anna Dean and Mark North Thomas with me today. Amidst the tragedy of the Russian invasion on Ukraine, stories of people offering to help in whatever way they can are emerging too. There are, for example, those that have offered to try and get people out of Ukraine in whatever way they are able to. Simon Evans... Booked a flight, flew into Krakow, drove to a hotel 40 miles from the Ukraine border and started helping people drive across the border. A young mum, her two-year-old boy, the gran from north of Kiev, a lone woman and her son. With us is Simon Evans. He's back in Birmingham for the meantime. And Simon, I just want to say it's around quarter past 3 a.m. there. I really appreciate you getting up for us to talk to us here on the panel in New Zealand. G'day, kia ora. Hello. Um, It's the middle of the night, and that's great to talk to you. Lovely to have you on, Simon. I know that you have connections here, your, your whanau's here. Tell us what you have been doing. Um, well, I, I I was listening to the radio about uh, just under two weeks ago, and um, I I heard about a guy from Somerset, which is in the west west of England, um, and he's a trainee lorry driver, and he was out in Poland on the border of Ukraine, and he was helping drive uh, families uh, coming across, women and children mainly, uh, from Ukraine. So he was helping drive them to where they need to be, to, to friends, actions, wherever he was just driving them. And I thought, I can do that. And before I knew it, I'd booked a flight from Birmingham to Krakow, um, capital of Poland, it's only two hours away. Um, and then I booked a hotel and I booked a high car. And then I thought, well, I, I better ask some friends and family for money um, so I can fuel the car and maybe give some cash to the people I help. Um, so uh, pretty soon I had two two thousand pounds sitting in my account because people are generous, and I don't know what the conversion rate is, but to end their dollars, but it's enough to, do, to 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 be getting on with. So anyway, had that money, and then I was on the plane, and I was thinking, well, blimey, I'm just I'm tr- tracking off hundred miles in a car 
on the right-hand side of the road, um, which is different. Um, you usually drive on the left. And um, and pretty soon I was at the border on the Saturday morning. Um, and the first people I saw was, as you say, this granny, mum and two-year-old with a little dog and a cat and not much else. And I said, can I help? And they, I spoke no Ukrainian, but the, the, the mum spoke a little bit of broken English. And... Um, Ten minutes after that, I'd managed to call one of their relatives in a place called Poznan, northern Germany. That was ten hours away. I said, I can't drive that far, but I can drive halfway. And, and that's what we agreed. And I drove to a train station, put them on the train, and and they were on their way. And they made it to safety with their, I think it was the, the young mum's cousin, that evening. And then that was uh, Saturday. Then I drove back to my hotel, uh, which is 200 miles away. It's a long, long day, but... Um, then I got my head down and thought, right, well, I'll, I'll go back to the border the following following morning. Mm-hmm. Another person you helped was uh, a young woman, Natalie, 23, and her dog from southern southern Ukraine, and you chatted as you drove, and yeah, I mean, the stories were just terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, the... the that's the thing about these people. Look, I, I, I in total, I'm, I, I mean, I spent the weekend there. I, I helped the, the, the first family on day one, and I helped another family on day two, the morning of day two, which was the Sunday. I took them a very short distance to connect with some Germans who were on the border giving vital supplies to a Ukrainian planning to drive back into, into Kiev. So if you're looking for someone brave, look at someone like that. Um, and then the next, yeah, then I drove back to a place called Premizel, and that's not how you pronounce it, by the way. I don't really know how to pronounce the Polish names, but, but that's what it looks like. It's very near the border, and there's an aid centre there. And, um, yeah, the second person I took was Natalie, and she was on her own, and, and obviously people there, the volunteers there, were very concerned that, you know, a lone female was looked after because there's some pretty sketchy characters um, in that part of the world, sadly sex traffickers and the like so I assured them that I wasn't there to to do any of that stuff I just wanted to help so she was in my car her little dog and we had a, a chat and you're going to have to forgive me if I get emotional here but we were driving along and I said why why are you on your own and she said she said my mum who's um, in a city a few out in the south of the country my mum didn't want to leave my dad because uh he he had to stay and fight, and my sister didn't want to leave either. And my grand was too ill to make the trip, so my mum persuaded me to go alone because her boyfriend was out in Italy at the start of the conflict, and and she wanted to, she, her plan is to join her her boyfriend in a place called Katowice, where they've, she's got a friend, and and I drove her the two hundred miles to Katowice, but she started crying and just saying like I. It was an impossible choice, and this was all via Google Translate and everything. But it was really clear, and and then I started. I've been, I've been doing a lot of blubbing these last few days. But we were driving along, just it was just really horrible. But I, I mean, I was pleased I could help her, and and then she very movingly um, later on that evening, when she was just in the safety of her friend's house in Katowice. Um, she sent me a, 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 a text message and just said, thank you so much again. For a few hours there, it felt like I had a normal life. Um, and, oh yeah, I just was pleased to have helped and sad I couldn't stay on to do more.
Simon, we we have a panel with us, uh, and uh, they can jump in as well. Anna. Well, Simon, uh, thank you so much for sharing sharing these stories. And um, oof, the um, yeah, it's quite hard to know what to say, really. And I mean, did you ever think that you would be in this situation as a as a as a kind of an angel, really, for these people? Um. It's very kind of you to describe me in that way, but um, no, I didn't because I never thought someone as as evil as Putin would actually act on his um, evil thoughts. I mean, it, it's it's completely absurd. There was a war, a world war, which centred around Europe, uh, you know, in 1940 to 1945, and, and everyone sort of thought, well, that's that's never going to happen again. But but Putin is sadly changed all that. So never in a million years did I, I think anyone think there was going to be war on European soil again. But um, as for my trip out to Poland last weekend, you know, it was an impulsive decision. I booked the flights and I told people I was going to go and help um, so that I couldn't mm. back out. And then all of a sudden I was there. So, no, it's very unexpected and it kind of feels quite surreal that I even did it. But um, it was definitely the right thing to do. And now I know what to do. Depending on how long this conflict goes on, I'd definitely go out again because it's the easiest thing in the world to do. All I was doing was doing some very sort of easy things, which was booking a hotel, booking a flight, booking a hire car, um, and offering some lifts on peaceful soil. Yes, it's next to a war zone, but Poland is not a war zone. Um, and it, it, it just was the least I could do, really. Uh, Mark, let's bring you in. Yeah, Simon, you're amazing, mate, and I just honestly got a bit choked up myself listening to you. Um, so it must, you said the word yourself, surreal, because I think this must be the most publicised conflict we've seen. It's on social media, it's across every channel, every media platform you can think of. How does it feel for you sort of to go, to get so close to it and then go back to life? It's, it must just feel quite hard to reconcile in your head that, you know, life is normal in, for most parts of the world, and yet that's still going on. It just, it just, seemed, it just seems so surreal that that's what's happening. And um, I don't know, but I mean, good on you for doing what you've done. It's amazing. And I just think we sort of feel so helpless, uh, especially down here in, yeah, in New Zealand, so far away. I think that, that's a good point. I mean, I did, I did feel like, um, you know, I was pleased to help. It was a mixture of emotions on the way back. Because I arrived back in Birmingham. I live in a place called Solihull. It's all very nice. And I was, as I, as I, as I came back um, from the airport, it's only six miles from my house. So I was, back in, I was back in my house by lunchtime on Monday. I saw, um, I saw a local council guy hoovering the roundabouts, right? Not lovely sunny day. He was hoovering up the leaves on the roundabout. And I thought, you know, it's a really good thing to do. Why not? But there's a war, you know, 1,400 miles away, or however far um, Ukraine is, there's a, the kids being bombed, the buildings, yeah. the houses, and it just seems so, so bizarre that this is, this is happening. So you're right, it, and, and I did think, oh man, it, it, we are so privileged, we don't realise how lucky we are. You know, we're worrying, we, we get stressed if we lose mobile phone coverage, but... These people are literally fleeing for their lives. Their men are staying behind to fight. And I just, yeah, I mean, I felt glad I could get out there and help and hear a few of the stories. But one thing that struck me, the Ukrainian people are brave. They are. Tell you what, yeah. there's some brave people in New Zealand, no doubt, some, 
some, some you know, it's a land of rugby union and, and, and big hits and get, getting at the bottom of rucks and all that good stuff. But you speak to these Ukrainians and you'll, you'll find bravery and, and sort of courage on a whole new level. These, these men are staying to fight. Uh, they're fighting a force which is bigger than them. But, but Putin is, is he, 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 he's got more than he's bargained for here. These people are, and he's asking China for help. He, he's, he's got a lot on his hands. And these women, my goodness, they were, there was not an ounce of self-pity. They were kind, they were dignified. But I just thought to myself, I'm so glad to have had some time with these people because it really made me think well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to try and be more like them in the future. Simon, Simon people are uh, coming through and uh, just wanting to sort of respond to you. Uh, Wallace, I don't know who the guy is, but please say uh, thank you for helping. Uh, Mark in Christchurch says, Wallace, uh, say thank you to Simon. Lyndon says, um, good on you, Simon. I wish I was able to help uh, in the way that you were doing. So, um, Simon, uh, kia ora. Uh, I know that your whanau might be listening here as well. Thank you for being with us on uh, the panel here on Radio New Zealand. Yeah, Amazing. thanks for having me. And it's my mum out in Palmy, actually. So, uh, oh. hello, mum. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for having me. And please, people in New Zealand, if you, I'm sure you're feeling um, like you want to help. Just give to um, organisations like the Red Cross. That's the best thing you can possibly do. I know it's it's frustrating, but I know you probably all want to fly over there and and, and help. But, um, right. you know, it's certainly not possible. But there are people out there helping. So thank you for having me. Thanks for getting, thanks for getting up early, Simon. Thank you. All right, uh, that is Simon Evans there, who, uh, well, you heard the story there. Um, it's, oh, what, what do you say, Anna? It's quite something. Oh, oh it's, yeah, very, very uh, I know, I'm speechless, really. Uh, and it's so hard to, when it's so abstract, scrolling through your phone um, from yeah. a distance. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, it's incredible that he did that. Uh, meanwhile, so a lot of responses surreal. coming back. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, Mark, you were going to say? It is, it's just so surreal, isn't it, that, you know, it's, just, it's all going on and, and our lives continue as normal. And you sort of feel so helpless because, you know, people's lives being ripped apart. Um, and, you know, I, I read something on Twitter, I think, earlier today, and there's a woman saying I was at school with my kids two weeks ago and now I'm fighting to save, uh, fighting for my life, trying to escape my city. And it's just like, it's just bizarre oh. to reconcile in your brain how that can happen, you know? Hmm. Really bad. Meanwhile, a lot of responses coming through about uh, whether or not you want the borders open uh, following the announcement today. Uh, Andrew and Abigail says, uh, Wallace, my part and I were here in New Zealand from California halfway through her veterinary degree when COVID hit. Haven't been able to go home for we wouldn't be let back in for her to finish her degree. She's done working in Taupo. So happy to hear the news today and hope we will be able to uh, have our parents here for the first time in two and a half years, just in time for graduation on the 3rd of May.